Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians. It is Ephesians, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. Paul says, this is why it was said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present redeemer. Amen. I was watching television this week. The Atlanta Falcons football training camp was on TV. And uh, the coach was having a problem with one of the young players. I mean, like, who would want to play for the Falcons, right? And the player was just kind of doing his thing and whatever. And the coach finally had enough, and he got in the player's face. He said, son, what is it with you, ignorance or apathy? And the kid said, coach, I don't know, and I don't care. So where are you, right, wrong, or indifferent? The three questions today from Wesley's 22 questions, and for those who haven't been here, we're, we're taking the 22 questions, and there's some sheets on the end of your row if you have not seen this. You don't need it for the sermon, but it lists out all the questions. Are the 22 questions that John Wesley would ask his small groups, uh, uh, his clubs that would get together to kind of keep each other che- in check, uh, accountable to each other, that ask these 22 questions. And today's three questions are these. Do I go to bed on time and get up on time? That's question number 12. Question 13, do I disobey God in anything? And question 14, do I insist on doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Now, we have talked several times in this church service about the concept of moral relativism, this idea that, hey, Whatever you think is morally good for you is fine, and then whatever I think is morally good for me, and if those things never meet, well, that's fine as well. I'll go a little deeper than that on the issue of moral relativism. Here's a quote from a really good article I read on the topic of moral relativism. Writer says this, the main problem that moral relativists face is to show how the denial of objective moral truth, this idea there's no moral truth out there, need not entail a subjectivism that drains the rationality out of moral discourse. In other words, if everything's subjective to me, whatever I think is right is right, then we can debate it all you want. It really doesn't matter, because whatever I think is right is right. He continues, he says, their critics, and that would be us, on the other hand, face the possible, possibly even more challenging task of justifying the claim that there is 
such a thing as objective moral truth. Now, that last sentence is the course of the the battle that Christianity has waged from the beginning of Christianity and does so today as well, and will continue to fight that, establishing that there is objective moral truth, and it's in the Scripture, and it's in the life and the words and the actions of Jesus. We've said many many times, you want to know the truth? The embodiment of that truth, including all of Scripture, is seen in the life and the person of Jesus Christ. So the truth is not just a bunch of sayings or things we say, well, that's true or that's true, but truth is a person. You want to see truth, then examine Jesus Christ. So today's quote, uh, questions from John Wesley invoke this issue of moral relativism. If I am disobeying God or doing things that are against my conscience, have I renounced my belief in God and Jesus? And I've now become a person for whom basically anything goes. Now, most of us would say, no, 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 that's not what happens when we go against God or against our conscience. We're doing more what Paul was talking about in Romans 7 when he said this. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I still agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but I have sin living in me. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I just can't carry it out. Now, these statements by Paul, I would say, are the antithesis of moral relativism. Paul acknowledges both God's commands and that he's failing those commands because his sinful nature combats him at every turn on doing what is objectively right. It's not the case that Paul is renouncing the law of God. In fact, he acknowledges. He says the law exists and it's good. So for Paul, then, there's a particular vigilance that has to be put in place in order to help ensure that he behaves properly. And I think that we can all agree that if Paul, who is completely converted and on fire for Christ, if Paul is having this level of difficulty, we ourselves better have some pretty good methods in our toolkit in order to do the right thing and in order to avoid sin. Question 13, do I disobey God in anything? Yes, we all do. Question 14, do I insist upon doing some things about which my conscience is uneasy? Again, yes, we all do. So what does the first question then have to do with those two questions? Do I go to bed on time? And do I get up on time? There's some pretty good scripture on this. We all thought that Seinfeld answered all the world's questions about life. Well, the Bible does, and it was before Seinfeld. Proverbs 6, beginning at uh, verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? (laughs) When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. John Wesley preached on the topic of sleep. Coincidentally, using today's scripture from Ephesians that we read at the outset, he said this in one of his sermons. This is sermon number 93. You can look these up in 1792. And he says this about that piece of the verse, verses from Ephesians we read, 
that says we have a need in our lives to make the most of every opportunity. Here's what he says, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, at present, I want to consider one particular way of redeeming the time, getting the time back. That is, making the most of every opportunity, namely, from sleep. This appears to have been hardly considered in the past, even by pious people. Many that have been extremely conscientious in other respects have not been so concerning about how much time we waste sleeping. They treated the topic with indifference, whether they slept more or less, and never saw it in the true point of view as an important branch of Christian restraint. So what Wesley's saying here is that sleep is like other gifts from God, food, money. We need some procedure, some way to measure what we do with those things. And then in the same sermon, he quotes another Episcopal preacher, William Law, also from the 18th century on the topic, also paraphrasing here, who said, we conceive an abomination of a man that is in bed when he should be at his work. We cannot think good of him who is such a servant to drowsiness as to neglect his business for it. Let this therefore teach us to conceive how repulsive we must appear to God if we are in bed, shut up in sleep when we should be praising God and are such slaves to drowsiness as to neglect our devotions for it. Wow. Now, John Wesley would acknowledge that everybody needs different amounts of sleep, and that certainly remains true today. I can think of many of us, though, who can relate to John Wesley's concerns, and not just about sleeping too much, but about sleepwalking through life. As Wesley pointed out, many people have historically treated the issue of getting out of bed with some indifference. And frankly, the act of not getting out of bed is sort of an act of indifference. But for Wesley, this indifference equates to apathy. And for a Christian, apathy is where moral relativism, this idea of whatever is fine, can creep in. And that's dangerous. Because Jesus was emphatic concerning our needs to pay close attention to his teachings and his commands and not simply to go with the crowd or to make it up on our own. On the evening before Christ was crucified, he gave a lengthy private teaching to his disciples. This discourse is in John 14, and it's in the upper room, and it takes place right after Jesus announced in chapter 13 that one of you will betray me. And then Judas leaves the room. So as part of the instruction in chapter 14, Jesus says at verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he says in chapter, verse 21, just a few verses later, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then just two verses later, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. The unmistakable meaning of this passage is that obedience to Jesus' commands is both a sign and a test of our love for Jesus. What are these commands? These commands encompass all of Jesus' teaching and all of Jesus' words, who Jesus said, when I'm speaking, it is the Father who is speaking through me. These are God's words you're hearing. So immediately after Jesus 
made the statement in verse 15 that he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says this to the disciples. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In Jesus' reference to the Holy Spirit, he's acknowledging to the disciples that, look, it's not going to be easy to keep my commands, and you will require a divine source of power in the form of the Holy Spirit living within you in order to follow my commands. Sleep is a gift from God, and it is necessary, but it's no substitute for being awake and vigilant and working with the Holy Spirit to be a true follower of Christ. On that point, we will conclude with this passage concerning the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus was to be arrested and then tried wrongfully and then crucified. This is Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41. The scripture says, Then Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is saying to his number one disciple, Peter, you are showing your indifference by sleeping through all of this. You are on the verge of falling into what is wrong. Peter, I need you to be right. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be awake Christians, awake to your commands, awake to your teachings, awake to your scripture, and awake to the world, Lord, so that we can be of service instead of retreat, in retreat and unavailable, Lord. Lord, help us to be healthy. Help us to get sleep when we need it and to be fully awake to your truth when we are not asleep, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and our Savior. Amen.